Hey, this is your Olympic hero, Kurt Angle, and you're listening to Snug Wrestling. Oh, it's true. It's damn true. That's right. You are tuned into Snug Wrestling, where it's wrestling all day, every day. And now here is your host, Edgar Avila. It is officially the year 2024. The year has ended. The World's End pay-per-view also ended, and it ended in a very confusing, confusing way. What is going on, folks? Welcome to the first episode of Snug Wrestling Podcast of the year with me, your host. My name is Edgar. Happy New Year. Thank you for tuning in today. We have a lot of shit to go over today, a lot of shit to break down, make fun of, hate on, complain about, whatever you want to call it about the world's end pay-per-view not everything was all bad though i must admit there's a lot of good shit that took place on this pay-per-view and it's 2024 so i'm trying to be a better person this year as one of my new year's resolutions i'm gonna try to be more fair and a more decent human being so we're also gonna be talking about pointing out some of the great things that happened in this pay-per-view the most entertaining things in this pay-per-view and that was of course the press conference with good old Tone Loke. Tony Khan had a lot to say on this press conference and I mean a lot. This guy can talk your fucking ear off but a lot of things he said this time was actually worth mentioning. So before we get into the actual wrestling part of this whole spectacle of a show, we have to go over the highlights of the real show and that's the press conference. So let's get into that really quick. AEW's World's End press conference. Let's go. Samoa Joe, the new AEW World Champion, started the press conference and gave us a taste of what to expect from his championship reign as the new leader of the locker room now that MJF has been dethroned. Samoa Joe is a no-nonsense type of guy and dares anyone and everyone that is fighting backstage to come pick a fight with him face-to-face, including Hangman, including Swerve, and anyone that dares. He's going to prove that the main focus on what he does is in that ring and in that ring only. This is also his first heavyweight title in over 15 years in a major company and this was mostly due to injuries over the time that forced him out of the ring and into commentary especially during his time in the WWE. Samoa Joe cleared the air and shut down all the rumors and misconceptions that the WWE had dropped the ball on Samoa Joe or misused Samoa Joe when in reality it was all due to Samoa Samojo actually using that time to heal up. Overall, Samojo has the potential to be a great champion for AEW and lead the charge as the next big star in AEW for now. Samojo can have some good matches and feuds with just about anyone, and he can really get shit done in that company other than MJF. Good old Tone Loke also had the women's champion Tony Storm out there for the press conference, where Tony Storm made Tony Khan wear her silly feathered hat and her sunglasses where where Tony Khan proceeded to wear the hat and the glasses the entire time Tony Storm was out there. Although most people found this amusing or funny or lighthearted, Tony Khan was asked some pretty serious questions, including about the Chris Jericho sexual assault accusations, and Tony Khan, while still wearing the funny hat and glasses, was trying to give a serious answer about a very serious and delicate situation while looking like a complete joke. Here's the clip. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask. This is actually a question for Tony. Um, there's a lot of conversation, especially the last couple of days, about the issue of safety and s- harassment, specifically involving women wrestlers. 
Um, you know, without getting too much into the details, or some people may not want their names mentioned, um, but there have been a lot of conversations, and there are, there's real concern from wrestlers, from uh, fans, from media alike, you know, about the safety of wrestlers behind the scenes. So, like, what has been done specifically to combat, to prevent issues like sexual harassment in the AEW locker room, both, you know, in the past and going forward? Because this is something that should always be looked at. I think it's very important. It's a great question, Kevin, and I think it applies to everybody in the company, women and men, and it's something we're very serious about, and we've had a policy in place, and certainly I think any time there's anything like that, we would uh, make sure we do everything we can to prevent it. AEW has the best safety record, I believe, of any pro wrestling company in the world. I believe we have the most safe environment. I believe we have the best safety record of any pro wrestling company, and I would hold the record of AEW on safety against any wrestling company in the world. And I think we, AEW is the safest place for pro wrestling. And if any of our wrestlers ever have a concern, they always have an open line to talk to me. And I, you know, I believe anybody would sit here and tell you they always can talk to me anytime they are concerned about anything. But the awkwardness with Tony Storm does not end there because Tony Storm, in character, takes a sip of Tony Khan's coffee where Tony Khan sounded like he said, it's black coffee. I don't spike it like you do at your key parties. I heard about your key parties. What the hell? Did he really just say that? I went back and heard this at least 10 more times to confirm that I certainly heard key parties. Now, being the silly, silly man that I am, when I heard key parties my mind went a completely different place i was thinking tony montana key parties the colombian key parties the snowstorm key parties if you can understand my lines anyway you get the point I had to look up the definition of a key party and a key party is basically a swingers party. Some people heard tea party, some people heard key party, but you tell me what Tony Khan really said. Let's play that clip. Yeah, well, that's true. I don't I can't what? I don't I don't spike it like you do at your uh key parties. Man. I wouldn't have a clue what you're talking I about. I heard about darling. your key parties. No. Man. It's okay. What you do at home is your business. Either way, if Tony Khan said key party, what the fuck? Right after being asked about a sexual assault accusation on a former AEW employee by a current AEW employee and one of your leaders in the locker room and one of your highest paid stars and veterans, not probably a joke the owner of a company should be making to one of his employees. Not only that. This is the same guy, Tony Khan, that stated that he felt that his life was in danger in his own show backstage because of CM Punk. But now he's saying that AEW is the safest place, the safest wrestling company on the planet. This was so much fun and entertaining for all the wrong reasons. I absolutely love every bit of this. And I always look forward to the media calls, the press conferences, because you never know what the hell is going to happen. I mean, seriously, the pay-per-view was a long, long, long pay-per-view, but nothing less is expected from AEW, and I'm not going to sit here and go through all 10 matches, because the pay-per-view shouldn't even have 10 matches, so we shouldn't have to talk about all 10 matches, and we're not going to, because I have a life, you have a life, so I'm just going to go over the important stuff that really matters, so let's get into that, let's get into the wrestling matches, AEW, World's End, Long Island, New York, December 30th, Let's go. 
The first match of the main show was an A-man tag match with most of the losing competitors from the Continental Classic Tournament. Everyone except John Moxley and Eddie Kingston because those were the finalists of this tournament. And another guy from the tournament who was not in this eight-man tag was Andrade because he's going to be facing Miro later on in the show. On one side, you had Brody King, Jade Lethal, Roosh, and Jay White. And on the other side, on the other team, you had Claudio Danielson, Daniel Garcia, and Mark Briscoe. Did anyone else wonder how the fuck these teams were determined or was it just me? Because Roosh was positioned in the heel team for this eight-man tag with Brody King, Jay White, and Jay Lethal. All three of these guys are heels, right? And I'm talking about Brody, Jay, and Jay. All of them except Roosh. Roosh recently returned back in October to help FTR from getting attacked by the House of Black. Brody King's faction and now Roosh and Brody King are on the same team and on the other side no one knows if the Blackpool Combat Club are heels or babyface it just depends on the day or what mood they're in but they're mostly heels for the most part except for the few times that they're not and this was one of them because Danielson was getting a big pop and we're partnering up with Daniel Garcia who has been getting over with the crowd and Mark Briscoe one of the most loved baby faces in the company so all of this was really confusing as fuck but at least this match was not completely off the rails because Daniel Garcia the guy that got over in this tournament the most I think out of everyone and the one that shined the most out of everyone got the pin for his team in this match and the so-called baby faces won this eight-man tag match to open up this pay-per-view andrade versus miro miro has been waiting for weeks to get his hands on the guy that has been managed by his wife cj perry and getting a lot of praise and time and attention from his wife but miro wasn't able to get his hands on andrade until after the tournament there was clear tension between these two with a personal matter that has been building up for weeks it involved two experienced in-ring performers and the match was really good Miro did what he does best and crushed Andrade mostly throughout this match and Miro won thanks to getting help from his own wife who turned on her client Andrade and it looks like Miro and CJ Perry are back on good terms the timing of this term made a whole lot of sense because it was later confirmed by good old Tom Loke in the press conference that Andrade's AEW contract had expired and did not re-sign with the company. Andrade did the job for Mio before leaving. His final match in AEW was a good match versus Miro at a pay-per-view and not a bad way to leave the company on a high note. The audacity of AEW to insult everyone's intelligence by putting Riho in the same ring versus their women's champion Tony Storm in a big pay-per-view match. Tony Khan truly believes Riho offers great wrestling week to week and delivers ratings since day one and that's a direct quote from tony khan himself but seriously what great matches i would like to hear about just one great match riho has ever had and also what ratings is riho delivering who seriously tunes in to watch riho wrestle oh i gotta hurry up and get home from work because riho is gonna wrestle ruby soho tonight on dynamite 
seriously, let's be fucking honest, people. It's not that hard. There are some hardcore AEW fans that love this little 12-year-old Japanese girl. One even wrote me and said, well, Riho at 9 years old got into the ring with Minoru Suzuki and took damage from him. And that's something most grown men wouldn't dare to do. So Riho deserves respect. And I'm not making this shit up. You can't make this shit up. Someone really said that to me. Anyway, this match was ridiculous. Riho can't lift her own head even if she tried. And she should not be in the ring, especially with Tony Storm. Tony Storm retained after a long competitive match. But this match didn't even need to happen. Skipping on over to the other A-Man tag match. The match before was Swerve versus Dustin Rhodes because Keith Lee was not cleared to wrestle. And just like that match, this eight-man tag was also put together last minute due to Kenny Omega's unfortunate medical issues. See, I'm not a dickhead like most people think. Get well soon, Ken Dog. Chris Jericho still wrestled this match even though he was being accused of sexual assault. And Chris Jericho actually got booed when he got tagged in the match for the first time. Darby Allen was getting ragdolled by all the heels, including Big Bill and Will Hobbs, and it got me thinking. Fuck all of this convoluted Don Callis family shit. I would love to see a three-man faction with Big Bill, Hobbs, and Ricky Starks as their leader. And I know what some of y'all are gonna say, another faction, but just hear me out. A big, massive tag team with Hobbs and Big Bill, with Ricky Starks as their manager, being their mouthpiece in the tag team division. And they can also be a force to reckon with in the singles division where Ricky Starks gets over as a heel by getting wins, singles titles, by cheating with the help of his big badass goons, Hobbs and Big Bill. And I think all three can get a lot of heat if you were to put them together. Other than that, this eight-man tag match was sloppy. The first eight-man tag match was way better, better put together, it made more sense, which is unfortunate because this is the last match Sting is ever going to wrestle in the Nassau Coliseum. And one of Sting's final matches is an eight-man tag that was put together on the fly last minute with no control, everyone running in and out, doing all kinds of dangerous, dumb moves on each other that almost killed Sting's tag team partner. Christian Cage versus Adam Copeland for the FTW Championship. Wait, no, it wasn't for the FTW title. It was for the TNT title, but they said, fuck the world in this match because they were trying to kill each other and somehow this turned into a no DQ match. How? I don't know. I didn't get the memo, did you? It didn't take long for the fans to start chanting for tables and TLC. Nick Wayne was getting involved. Adam Copeland was flying off of balconies and all kind of shit was popping off. They got the chairs, the kendo sticks, the metal pipe, a ladder, and that still wasn't enough because the fans still wanted tables. Edge and Christian gave exactly what they wanted. Everything. I mean everything. They might as well be wearing Santa outfits because they even gave the people a flaming table spot. I wonder why the fuck they would even agree to do any of this now at their age. I think the only one that did a flaming table spot one time in their career was Edge versus McFoley 10 years ago. Edge and Christian were involved in many, many ladders matches, tables matches, chairs matches, TLC matches, but they never did a flaming spot match or lit anything on fire when they were younger, but they're doing it now. Edge picked up Nick Wayne for a powerbomb and maybe had second thoughts because Adam Copeland threw Nick 
Wayne past the burning table and Nick Wayne didn't completely land on the fire but he did take an ugly bump almost landing on his head outside of the ring maybe that was a lot better than landing flat on the fire I don't know you tell me Adam Copeland won and we got a new TNT champion for about 30 seconds because no longer Luchasaurus but Killswitch who still wears the dinosaur mask ran in to cash in his TNT contract that he won previously on the pre-show in the battle royal but instead Christian took the contract from Killswitch or Luchasaurus or whatever you want to call him and cashed it in his damn self and became a two-time TNT champion thank you for your service Killswitch may daddy Christian pay you with lots of TLC for keeping this great TNT title reign strong Eddie Kingston versus John Moxley the finals for this very prestigious sports base wrestling tournament involved a guy that drinks bones and breaks blood and likes to kiss guys during wrestling matches versus what some might call a guy that fights like a drunken dad and I can't unsee it now Eddie Kingston this was a long boring match Mox was in control throughout most of the match but let Eddie get back up then they got into a sloppy girly slap fight Eddie Kingston hit Mox with his spinning backhand slap and won the very first Continental Classic Tournament. I absolutely hated this match, but I'm glad Eddie Kingston won because if John Moxley would have won this thing, we would have all been screwed having to watch more and more senseless John Moxley matches. The new belt was revealed and my first initial thought was this looks exactly like the WWE Undisputed title from 2002. Google it folks and tell me it doesn't. Anyways, congrats to Eddie Kingston for winning this damn thing. For the AEW World Championship, MJF and Samoa Joe, and in MJF's corner, still in crutches, the injured and returning Adam Cole wearing all black. I shit you not. The only reason I bought this fucking pay-per-view was to find out who the devil is. And this fucking guy shows up randomly out of nowhere on this day out of all days wearing all black. So thanks for letting me know before the match that you are the devil. Samoa Joe got a lot of heat on the injured hometown hero MJF, cutting off MJF's momentum every chance he got. The fans were behind the champion, telling Samoa Joe to go fuck himself, and you can believe the sympathetic babyface was fighting through a lot of pain, because he probably really was. They told a great story in the ring Samoa Joe and MJF did. Finally, the referee takes a big bump and immediately everyone gets up because they know something is about to give everyone is looking around waiting for something to happen mjf goes to adam cole to get the dynamite diamond ring and adam cole suspiciously takes forever to pull it out of his jacket because he did the thing where he's looking for the ring in his pockets and he can't find it finally he finds it and gives it to mjf but by that time samoa joe was able to grab mjf grab mjf with a chokehold the referee wakes goes over to check on MJF lifts the arm one the arm falls down two the arm falls down three the arm falls down again for a third time and there is dead silence throughout the entire arena people were waiting for the ref to say something or for a reaction from MJF but nothing happened the referee didn't say anything and it seemed like the time stood still forever and no one knew what the fuck just happened until the ref 
referee finally called for the bell and that's when everyone started booing because they realized MJF was choked out and lost the heavyweight championship belt. People were like, what the fuck? That's it? That's the end of the match? Everyone seemed confused, including the referee, and that's when the fans started chanting bullshit. Maybe they were just upset their hometown hero lost. Maybe they were upset because of how the match ended. The mass goons then hit the ring, the lights go out, and Adam Cole is sitting in the middle of the ring. Next to the mass goons, that revealed themselves to be Wardlow, Roderick Strong, and the kingdom, Matt Taven, and Mike Bennett. Everyone was right about Wardlow, and I was kind of right about Roderick Strong, but Roderick Strong was not the one that was holding the double mask, it was Adam Cole. Some people still believe that Adam Cole is not the real devil, because Adam Cole was not actually wearing the mask, and this is actually the start of a much bigger story. However, during the press conference, Tony Khan refused to comment on the future of MJF in AEW in 2024. MJF was also removed from the AEW official roster list and nothing has been set in stone. Some people believe MJF did re-sign with AEW and he's just gonna go away to heal from his injuries and the real reason why MJF dropped the title and this is all part of Tony Khan's big plan and all a part of this devil storyline. And I hope for the sake of AEW and their business that that is true and this is all a work and part of the plan for MJF to stay in AEW. If not, they're going to be in big trouble. But also, in the other hand, MJF has been talking a lot about the bidding war of 2024. Well, it's 2024 now. The title changed hands right at the end of the year, literally. And I don't think that's all a coincidence. But let me know what you guys think. That was World's End pay-per-view hit me up thank you guys for listening and we will talk soon